The voice of reason. The voice of alarm. The voice of stats. The voice of scouts. The voice of Kool-Aid. The voice of dismay. The voice of Davo. And welcome into a very special edition of Clubhouse Conversation. It's Davo on your dish before we get the 2014 World Series underway. The Royals and the Giants. And as promised, we go very in-depth on this series and break it down for you here on Clubhouse Conversation. And we do so in a way that will make you feel like an expert about the San Francisco Giants. Because, you know, you and I know this Royals team very well. We watch them every game, uh, but the Giants, we've seen them three times this year. Maybe we saw them you know, a couple times in the interleague against the Tigers. Maybe we paid attention, obviously, uh, against the, the Cardinals and the NLCS, but the Giants, a team that we don't watch every day, a team that we don't know that well. Well, enter my good old friend Rob Bazzini, who's out in California, a guy that I first met in college at the University of Nebraska, where he was a sports broadcasting major there, and covered Husker sports and worked on TV, worked with Dari Noka, who's now an anchor in Bristol for SportsCenter. Actually, technically, I think Dari's based in Charlotte, but Bristol, SportsCenter, same thing. So Rob Bazzini, a guy that does freelance writing these days, he's done some acting, some producing out in California, huge San Francisco Giants guy, baseball coach, and knows this team inside and out. Literally, like everything about this team. So I figured it was time to give my old buddy Rob Bazzini a call from college and spark things up again. So he joins us now on Clubhouse Conversation as we go in-depth all about the Giants and the Royals in this 2014 World Series. Rob Bazzini, welcome, man. It's good to talk to you. How's everything going out there? I mean, I'm, I'm on cloud nine. You know, uh, after, you know, the Giants starting 42 and 21, I was like, well, we're basically on the countdown to the to the playoffs now. Like, let's just put in cruise control, and the Dodgers do what the Dodgers always do, which is get hot and and make things uncomfortable. And I probably wouldn't have even said three weeks ago I thought this was possible. So to be sitting here as a fan about to watch your favorite team go to their third World Series in five years, I mean, what more can you ask for? Yeah, well, I think the Royals are almost the exact same thing. Three weeks ago, you know, and less than that, when you you know look at the eighth inning of that wild card game, I don't know if you did you get a chance to watch that one against the A's at all? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, being a Northern California guy, I have a bunch of buddies who are A's fans, and I I you know had to watch because uh, you know uh, knowing you and knowing them, I, I had uh, interest on both sides. Uh, somebody was going to be happy, and somebody was going to have their heart broken. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it turned out the right side for us here in, in KC. So the two wild cards, what a great matchup. So we've got the two winningest postseason teams in one year in history, the 8-0 Royals, the 8-2 Giants. Now, first things first, so it's been 29 years here in KC, and I know it's kind of tough to compare situations because you guys have obviously been there you know, a couple times in the last few years. But, I mean, are, are the fans in San Francisco still you know, equally as jazzed up this year as they've been in the past? I mean, I would say so. I mean, especially because like we just talked about, it, it didn't seem, you know, in June, July, and maybe even in moments in September like this was possible. But that city, especially since 2010, has, has filled their ballpark as consistently as anybody in baseball. And, and um, there's so many great personalities on that team that you just can't help but get excited when a guy like Hunter Pence is telling you, we're going to play another home game. And you're like, I believe him. I believe him when he says stuff like that. Yeah, well, and to, for for those fans, you know, who are making the trek out there to San Francisco, who have yet to see your beautiful park out there. Can I talk about how nice that park is? Please, it's uh, it's you know, I suffered through a lot of very cold nights at Candlestick Park, <laughs> and uh, 
it, to me, it was you know the the first baseball stadium I ever went to, and, and being a you know kid who played the league, I I loved Candlestick. And then I was in college. I was in Lincoln with you when the new stadium opened. And the first time I went home during the summer break, my dad got me and my then girlfriend, who is now my wife, tickets, and we went to a game. And I was like, this this doesn't even seem real. It doesn't. It didn't seem like it was going to be there permanently. It didn't seem like we got to keep it. Yeah. It was like a special occasion. And uh, every time I go in, I, I just say, I can't believe this is where the Giants play and this is where we get to go watch their home game. Yeah. Well, now how about Giants fans' perception of the Royals? I mean, amongst the general, you know, average Giants fans from what you've kind of gathered from, you know, that from Giant Nation. And, you know, totally enough, Dave, I think two weeks ago, not, not to be rude, but probably just the same position the Royals were in, uh, the Giants were probably an afterthought to the Royals, and I think the Royals were an afterthought to the Giants. Mm-hmm. It was like, let's just keep facing the team that's in front of us. Um, but having watched them and, you know, being interested in the LDS and, and the LCS, um, I, I sort of feel like they are, um, you know, they have the most raw young talent in baseball. And how that will translate to a World Series, I don't know. But um, I think if you're the Giants, you're, you're not taking them lightly. And I don't think Giants fans are either. Uh, you know, the Giants fans, is, as as much as they like to party and, and get rowdy, I don't think there's been a postseason series that Giants fans have gone into in the last five years and said, oh, well, this is a cakewalk. Uh, Giants fans are very um, conservative when it comes to things like that and putting the cart before the horse. And I think they see that this is a young team with live arms, some very powerful bats, and some amazing speed and defense at the top of their order. And it's a tall order. And I don't think that, uh, you know, as – as smart as the fans are in San Francisco about baseball, I don't think anybody's dismissing the Royals at all. So basically what you're saying is the Giants fans are nothing like the Cardinals fans, is what you're trying to say, <laughs> right? Um, I would never talk down about any other organization's <laughs> fans, but uh, I do feel like there was certainly this air like of Cardinal fans, just from what I was reading online and stuff, it was like, just let us get past the Giants and find out who we're going to steamroll in the fall class because right, right. this is our year, and it is over. Right. Um, and I've learned, uh, I've been the, the cocky fan before, especially being a Nebraska football fan, <laughs> and you can get humbled real quick with that attitude. Yeah, all it takes is a uh, Bill Callahan hiring, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, thank, you, thank you, Steve Peterson. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So now you, you, you have covered Alex Gordon forever. So, I mean, you've been a sports guy for a long time. You covered him while he was at Lincoln Southeast High School and at UNL. And, you know, so how exciting yeah. is it for you to see, you know, the growth of Alex Gordon? And, and could you have ever dreamed this possible, say, 10 years ago? Um, you know, I just, I've been around guys who played college ball and pro ball and, and a good buddy of mine, uh, you know, played in double-A and, and was a college baseball coach. And just seeing Alex Gordon, he just looked like a guy who was from uh, another planet. I'd never seen anybody play high school sports the way he did. His emotions never, you know, got out of control. He always looked like he was, he was you know, one step ahead of everybody on the field. And I knew he was going to be a very good college player. And I think there was a time where people in Lincoln didn't even think he would go to Nebraska because, you know, a left-handed power bat out of high school, he just looked like a guy who would go straight to professional baseball. And so then to, to have him for three years in Lincoln and be able to watch him excel like he did and, and help elevate that program, uh, and then to see him doing this after the struggles he had at third base and now turning into a gold glove left fielder, you kind of felt like, you know, 
if anybody could, if it could happen to anybody, he would be the guy. So to see him doing this now on this stage, it's, it's fun as, as a Husker fan and, and having seen him, you know, play high school sports to, to see him doing this now, I'm, I'm really happy for him. I'm a guy who likes to see uh, other people succeed, and, and I think this is fantastic for him and for Nebraska fans should be going nuts just like Royals fans. Yeah, now he played a key part back in August when the two teams met. The Royals, of course, swept the Giants at Kauffman Stadium at that point. Now, I mean, to you, uh, in your opinion, does that really mean anything at this point to either team, the fact that the Royals have already swept them, or is that kind of just out the door at this point? I wouldn't think so. I mean, especially reading the interviews from uh, from uh, Kansas City this week, and I think they were talking to uh, uh, Dyson and Gore and, and a couple other guys, and, and you know, their attitude was that's not the team we're facing. The, the Giants, I think, were in a stretch of losing 15 out of 19 or 15 out of 21 at that point. I think the Royals had won 15 out of 18 at that point. Right. Um, so it might have just been a, a, a great time for that matchup, but I don't think – I mean, I think the Giants are, you know, a super confident club now, and they were just, you know, in a doldrums, so to speak, at that point in time. I, I, I would be shocked if anybody – on the Royals or the Giants thought that that series meant anything other than getting to see, um, you know, a pitcher or a hitter, you know, matchup-wise and just kind of being able to, you know, put a little more in your book on them. Um, but I, I don't think the results really matter to anyone right now. Now, I know that you believe this is kind of the least talented of the three Giants World Series teams in the last five years, and obviously some of that is the injuries that you guys have, have had to overcome and some of the guys you lost, like Pagan in recent weeks as well. But what's different right. about this bunch as compared to the last couple World Series teams for the Giants? Well, I mean, you have some guys who it's their, you know, their, their first year with the club in, in key roles, and you know, you look at Jake Peavy. Peavy was a, a trade deadline guy who was uh, – you know, really struggling in Boston. Tim Hudson, who some people thought his career might have been over after his uh, ankle basically snapped, uh, you know, pitching for Atlanta last year while he was covering first base, and he's, you know, uh, I believe 39 years old. So to have two key guys in the rotation who were not uh, Giants last year or at, at the uh, even in the middle of this year is, is uh, a little bit unusual they don't usually acquire starters in the middle of the year. Uh, Ryan Vogelfunk did come on, and he was a giant in 2011 and then pitched very well in 2012. But the rotation is a little bit more mishmash because of the injuries to uh, Matt Cain, who, you know, is as good as they get in the postseason and has been lost for the year. And then uh, Tim Lincecum, you know, being sent to the bullpen once again, just like in 2012, but has yet to appear. So the rotation looks very different. Um, and then, like you said, Hazel Pagan lost for the year to back surgery. He was such a key part to the 2012 team. And Michael Morse had been the everyday left fielder and then had an oblique injury in September. And his only three at-bats, I think, in the last six weeks came in the LCS. He, didn't, he wasn't even on the uh, LDS roster. Um, so it, it's a little bit more patchwork than the other teams were. But, you know, same results in October. They, they are finding ways to win. Now, you know, and I think this is a pretty, you know, fair assessment. Most people kind of call the Royals and the Giants kind of the same team playing and, you know, kind of the same team for their respective leagues. They're very similar to each other and, and don't, don't, you know, rely on the long ball. And I know AT&T Park had the least amount of home runs per game in the big leagues this year. So, I mean, talking about AT&T Park itself, uh, you know, like a, a park like Anaheim, the ball kind of jumps during the day and dies at night. I mean, is, is, it, this, is it matter? Is, is it going to jump less at night since they're all night games? Or does it not really matter in, in that park? Yeah, I mean, you know, when it's 
when it's cold, and especially if there's wind blowing in off that water in right field, the ball just gets knocked down. And uh, I think when you look at a guy like Buster Posey and maybe even Hunter Pence, I think those guys probably each hit another five, six, seven home runs annually if they play their home games in a different park because when you have that cavernous gap in right center, the marine layer coming in at night, the ball can't – there's balls. I, I was there at a game in 2012 when Aubrey Huff hit an absolute line drive to dead center, and he was walking out of the batter's box. I mean, he basically looked like he thought he hit it as hard as he could hit a baseball, and it just died on the warning track, and he wasn't even halfway to first base, and he just stood there with a look on his face like, that's as hard as I can hit it. If that doesn't go out, I don't know what to do here. <laughs> um, and so I think, you know, like, but like we saw on, uh, on Thursday night, uh, you know, uh, Ishikawa still managed to hit a rocket out to right. Panic got one up in the air uh, and got it out to right. And, and Michael Morse absolutely crushed the ball to the left field that got out. So it, it can come in spurts. There's there's something about that park when you just don't – you never know when it's going to come a lot. Well, the Giants were 17th this year in home runs, like we said. And then, like you just mentioned, they had three home runs the last game. But what, the first six games, they didn't have a single home run in postseason. I mean, besides the obvious guys, where does the power come from in this lineup? And who are some of the guys that Royals fans might not have heard of that, that are long ball threats in your lineup? Well, I think one guy who has um, huge power and, and was limited this year because of a couple stints on the DL is Brandon Bell, who is a big left-handed uh, power-hitting first baseman who had 12 home runs, I think, in only... He, I think he played under half the season. And at one point, I think he had five home runs in the first two weeks. He was actually leading the National League in home runs and broke his thumb. Came back and was available for a while. And then during batting practice, got hit in the face with a thrown ball and had a concussion and, and was out for an extended period of time. Came back and, and the symptoms um, you know, reemerged and he had to go back on the DL. But he is a guy uh, who, if he runs into one, it's going to go a long way. He actually hit the game-winning home run in game two of the LDS, the 18-inning game, um, that he hit a ball that was, you know, could still be traveling for all we know. It was an absolutely <laughs> crushed shot to right field. Um, so if he gets hot and he's locked in and other guys, um, you know, in front of him are seeing the ball and squaring, squaring balls up and getting on base and setting up, you know, at-bats for him, pressure at stressful at-bats for Royals pitchers, He's a guy who can who can really make things happen. And a guy that needs to get on base, obviously, is a guy that the Royals are very familiar with and one-time Royal, Gregor Blanco. Talk about how he's been playing. You know, Blanco, man, I love Gregor Blanco, and I think he is an absolute great fourth outfielder for any team. Good defensively. Um, when, he, when he hits, and, and he, he's very streaky, when he gets on, he can cause problems, he can steal bases. Uh, but he is one of those guys where... Uh, my dad and I, I think watched three LCS games together, and and it was almost like we were praying when Gregor Blanco got up. Not that I'm a super religious guy, but you you're just wondering when will this guy break out? Um, he's just you know, as much as I love all the Giants, he's just not Angel Pagan. There's no two ways around it. I didn't realize until um, 2013 when Pagan went down and missed the majority of the year, and the Giants really just sort of went in the tank when, when they had all those returning pieces from the 2012 championship team, how much Angel Pagan means to that lineup. And I think you've probably seen the statistics. I think that the Giants, the Giants finished 14 games over 500 this year. They were, I believe, 20 or 21 games over 500 when he was in the lineup 
and uh, six games under 500 when he was out. And how long has he been out for now? You know, I think they they had him available off and on until the second to last week of the regular okay. season, and then the determination was made that this is not going to get better and it had to be fixed with surgery. Huh. Got it. Now, who's going to DH in KC? Michael Morse. Okay. Michael Morse, who uh, was huge at the beginning of the year. April, May, and June, he was on fire. I think he hit 16 regular season home runs, and my guess was 13 or 14 of them came before the All-Star break. Um and I don't know if he was playing a little bit hurt in the second half, but he was the giant starting left fielder on opening day. And, um, you know, had he not suffered that injury in September, he'd probably still be the starting left fielder. But, yeah, he will be the guy, and he'll probably hit, you know, my guess would be sixth in Kansas City. Um, but he's a guy when, uh, you know, if anybody listening watched the LCS, they saw him catch that slider that Neshek hung, and he just is is caveman strong. I think that's the only way you can say it. He's just, he's an absolute beast. And when he runs into one, you know, the sound off the bat, that's where I would say the sound off the bat with him is unmistakable. I went to uh, the family, we, we took the family down 4th of July weekend to San Diego to watch the Giants play the Padres. And the Giants were tra- trailing 3-2 in the ninth, and Houston Street came in, who at that point had not blown a save all season. And he hung a slider on... Uh, and I think it was the first pitch of that at bat, and Morse hit it, and it was a no – I mean, he made contact, and I heard it, and I stood up immediately. There was no doubt it was gone. And uh, that's – you know, he's the kind of guy who can change a game in one swing. Now, how much will we see of Matt Duffy, kind of a guy that intrigues me a little bit? My guess would be not a lot, unless it's a, uh, a running situation in Kansas City or a, a pinch-hitting situation. You know, Duffy is uh, – I was just recently reading an article uh, by Will Clark. He he did an article for the Giants website. And, you know, the Giants have sort of had to piece together some things with the injury to Scudero and, and not being able to really find a second baseman all year. And Joe Panic, who's a rookie who came up, I believe, in May or June, you know, they sort of sent Will Clark out to uh, on, on a, a scouting mission to evaluate Panic and Duffy. And he said Duffy was the most big league ready of the two. Um when they happened to both get to the big leagues, though, panic just got hot, and, and you couldn't get him out of the lineup. I think the from May to the end of the regular season, he hit 305. Um, Duffy's a good uh, defensive infielder. He's he's fast, and I, I I love the way he plays. I don't know if you saw Game Two of the LCS, but with two outs in the top of the ninth, and Trevor Rosenthal on for the Cardinals on a 3-2 pitch with runners on first and second, Duffy you know started on the Rosenthal's first move. Rosenthal spiked the fastball off home plate that went to the backstop, and Duffy scored from second and tied the game with two outs in the ninth. Mm-hmm. So he's a great hustle guy. He's a guy you like to have on your bench. But my, like I say, my, my inclination would be that Bochy will stick with panic at second. And Brandon, even though Duffy plays a little short, Brandon Crawford uh, is an exceptional defensive shortstop. He did, I think, I think he might have been second or third in errors in the National League, but he just gets so many chances. Um, and his range and his ability to stay calm in the postseason, I don't know if you watched the World Series in 2012, he made so many big plays in 2012, had a run-saving play in Game 5 of the LCS that was deflected off of Sandoval's glove, which was going to be a single. He was able to backhand it and still get Colton Wong going from first, and sec- from first to second for a huge second out. Or maybe it wasn't Wong, but whatever it was, it was a huge play to get the second out of the innings. Um, so with those two guys, you know, 
really entrenched in those roles at the middle, it would be hard for me to see Duffy, you know, getting the start. He'll just have a reserve role, I would think. Now, two more questions about the Giants' defense. First of all, one thing I've kind of noticed from watching, and I want to get your take on it, is is how is Sandoval coming in against the bunt at third? Because I feel like guys like Aoki and Escobar and Kane and Dyson, if he gets in, you know, I, I could see the bunt being a thing that the Royals try to really kind of you know involve Sandoval. Is he as bad as I think he is coming in against the bunt, or have I just seen not very many games and he's pretty good? No, I mean... I wouldn't say you're wrong. I think it, you know, it all depends on the play and, and where he's positioned. He throws well on the run. In fact, you know, sometimes on chompers as he move, he's moving across the infield, he will continue to run instead of setting himself to throw because I think he's just comfortable making those kinds of plays. Um, and I think you know the Royals will definitely use their speed, and if they are bunting, I think it will mostly depend on where Ron Wotus, the Giants' best bench coach, coach, sets the defense. If he, you know, feels like, you know, I don't know if you saw the, the LCS very much, but against John Jay, they were playing him in a lot, and John Jay was consistently just hitting the ball to left field, and I sort of wondered when they were going to move him. But the Giants are the kind of team that if they think they have a book on somebody and they have a plan, they'll stick to it. Um, but, sorry, I'm kind of going the long way around on that one. But the, the answer is, I think he's, in a, I would say, an above-average third baseman. And, you know, on do-or-die plays, are there better third basemen? Yes. Are there worse third basemen? Yes. I think it's going to kind of be who keeps their cool in the moment. Fair enough. Now, how about controlling the running game with Posey and, and different pitchers? I mean, uh, we saw Baltimore, you know, move the first baseman over and, and do just ridiculous things out there, push guys off the base, or sorry, guide them off the base, quote unquote. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, uh, you know, what do you see the Giants doing? Um, you know, I, I think Posey is um, an underrated catcher. I think a lot of them look at his offense, but I think he's uh, he's very smart. And what he might lack in arm strength, and I'm not saying he has a bad arm, but he's certainly not, you know, uh, uh, Yadier Molina or, or Salvador Perez even. But I think he's got a very high baseball IQ, and I think that he, along with Bochy, will sort of pick their spots as to, you know, um, utilizing pitch outs, utilizing, you know, pickoffs. I think uh, Hudson, if I remember correctly, has a pretty good move. Um, Vogel Song, I don't think he has a plus move. PV doesn't really have a plus move. And Bumgarner's left-handed. And Bumgarner has a pretty good move to first base for a big guy. I don't know if you remember. Zito, for a left-hander, had one of the worst moves in baseball. That's not Bumgarner. Bumgarner can do some things as far as varying looks. Um, he'll, you know, give you a little pause at the top with it, with his leg. But I think Giants pitchers are just going to focus on hitters. And they'll be aware of the running game. But it can, it's a thing where... If you spend so much time worrying about the running game, you forget about the hitter, and that's when you really get hurt. So, you know, I think plan plan A is to just keep guys off base. And the Giants, the, the best way they do that is just by pounding the strike zone and making guys put the ball in play. Minimize the walks and make guys earn their way on base. Now, talking about Madison Bumgarner, kind of talk about his stuff. And, you know, I, I've been hearing a lot of national analysts say that he's far and away above James Shields. If there's nobody else in this series equivalent to Madison Bumgarner, do you agree with that? You know, I haven't seen a lot of Shields. I think I saw more in Tampa Bay than with Kansas City. But I did watch part of his start in the LCS, and I certainly thought he had a very good fastball and worked his changeup nicely off the fastball. Um, but my thing is, and, you know, I, I think I told you that, uh, you know, I know you have a lot of man crushes on Royals. My man crush on the Giants is probably Madison Bumgarner. Uh <laughs> And, and I think I even told you that uh, the day I found out I was having a son, 
I might, I might have uttered the phrase, dear God, please let him be left-handed with a giant button size like Madison Bumgarner. <laughs> I might, I might have said that. Um, but uh, this seems crazy to say, but what I said all year is if, especially when it looked like the Giants were going to be a wild card, if I could take one starter for one game out of the National League, the first person I would take is Clayton Kershaw, which now probably makes this entire interview irrelevant because I look like a dummy saying that. But the second guy I would take is Madison Bumgarner, and I truly believe that. I mean, this is a guy who uh, was 21 years old when he got his first start in the World Series and threw eight innings in Texas and again in Game 4 that the Giants won. He's currently riding a 26-2 and two-thirds inning scoreless streak in postseason play. Um, he's a big dude who, who will eat innings. He's over 200 innings, 200 strikeouts this year. He's got a hard fastball. He's got a hard slider. He will throw... Um, his fastball under the hands of right-handed hitters like a Matt Holliday or, or a Billy Butler, you know, in the World Series, for instance. His slider will run away from left-handers like Alex Gordon and Eric Cosmer. Um, and when he's on and he's right and he's got his good stuff, he's pretty tough to beat. And I think before, you know, he gave up those two homers in the LCS, in Game 3 of the LDS, which I went to, his error was a, you know, cost the Giants two runs and ultimately cost them the game. But he did not give up an extra base hit in that game. Everything he gave up was a single. And I also think in the wild card game in Pittsburgh, he gave up four hits in a complete game shutout and did not give up an extra base hit. So when, when he's right, he's about as good as they get. Now, two through four, you know, you, you couldn't touch on it earlier, but, you know, your Hudson's and your Vogel songs and your, your PVs. I mean, is it fair to say they're hit or miss? Is it fair to say that they are mainly in the twilight of their career at this point? Well, yeah, I mean, I think you're talking about PV, if I'm not mistaken, is 37, Hudson's 39, and Vogelsong, I think, is also 37. Now, that being said, um, all those guys, I think, are going to be on at least nine days rest for their start. Uh, so that can't hurt, um, you know, uh, in postseason play for these older guys. And I think, you know, PV won, a, won an LDS game. He got um, touched up a little bit in, in the LCS game, but Bochy pulled him you know, I think in the fourth inning. Hudson went seven and two-thirds in his LDS game. They won his LCS game. And uh, Vogelsong, I don't think, made it to the fifth in the LCS, but pitched five good innings in the LDS. And those are all guys, too, that they, uh, you know, like we know, Dave, you, you learn a little bit the older you get. And uh, they can they can fix things, you know, mechanically, like Vogelsong did between the end of the season and his LDS start, which was a clinching game for the Giants. Um, PV has probably been the second best pitcher the Giants have had since he's come over. Um, you know, he was one and nine in Boston, and I think he was maybe five and three or six and three as a Giant. So, uh, you know, and Bruce Bochy was his manager with San Diego, and I think he's, you know, maybe rediscovered some things he had when he was with Bochy the first time around. Um, so while I don't like their two through four, maybe as much as I like the Royals two through four, it is a thing of, um, Vogelsong and PV both pitch in the World Series. They both have rings. Um, does experience count for something? As a Giants fan, you sure hope so. Right. Um, uh, but ultimately, does it matter? Are they, are they, you know, maybe past their – they're definitely past their prime. Do they have, uh, like Vin Scully said in uh, For Love of the Game, can they push the, the sun back up into the sky for one more day and hold off the twilight? <laughs> it's yeah. possible. Anything is possible. Yeah, and, and the cathedral that is Yankee Stadium belongs to a chapel. <laughs> <Is> that... <laughs> That's right. 
Wow, that's my favorite movie of all time. Big, big oh, props God, there for, for dropping that in there. And now, yeah. if, about five or six more questions for you. Thanks for all your time here. Now, the of next course. thing I wanted to ask you is pitch count-wise. I remember when the Royals faced Tim Hudson back in August, it seemed like, and I remember that he had, you know, I forgot to look this up, something like, is he is he capped pretty much around 95 to 100? And how deep all these guys go, even Bumgarner, pitch count-wise? I think he, uh, Hudson probably was in the middle of the year just because, you know, from an age and a health perspective and, you know, um, there wasn't much for the Giants to gain in that series. It sounds crazy because every game does matter. We we know that as fans of wild card teams that, you know, one or two extra losses and they don't get in. Uh, but, yeah, he, he seems to be a guy who, like, he keeps his – and he does do a good job of keeping his pitch count down, but it's like – you kind of think, well, if he gets into the seventh, that that's a great start for him. Um, PV and Vogel song, I don't think they would cap as much, but you know everybody has a short leash in the World Series, um, so you know we'll we'll see if if they're pitching well and, and pitching with the lead. I think all those guys go over 100, 105 pitches. Now Bumgarner, if he's right, he can go 120, 130. I mean, this guy, I don't know how many starts he's seen. Well, you probably watched the Kansas City start this year. Yeah, I've seen a couple. Which of I think Butler hit a two-run homer off him, and they lost 4-2 to two to the Royals, I think. Yep. But, um, man, he's just – it sounds crazy, Dave, and I can't believe other people are going to hear this, but, man, he is just hips and butt, and he just can fire that ball in there, and he is he's strong. He is the definition of country strong. And if he, if he feels like he can keep going – they would probably have to bring three or four guys out there to drag him off the mat. <laughs> well, if... And he did take him. Mike Kruko, Giants uh, co-analyst, Mike Kruko, who's a pitcher for the Giants and one of my favorite broadcasters of all time, he said the two guys on the Giants that you would want walking down a dark alley with you in the middle of the night are Madison Bumgarner and Jeremy Asso. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. So now, speaking of Affelt and speaking of dragging him off, if we do get him out of the game, now let's talk about that Giants bullpen because as yeah, everyone seems to kind of agree that the Royals are one A and the Giants are one B in bullpens across. You know, maybe the Royals seven, eight, nine are a hair better, but maybe the Giants are deeper in their bullpen. Is that a fair assessment? I think so, just because, but only by virtue of them being in the National League and having to be a little more prepared for for double switches and, and things of that nature. You know. Um, like you and I talked about, Lincecum is yet to, to see the field in the postseason, but the secret weapon really is Yasmero Petit, who uh, threw six one-hit innings in that extra inning game in Washington that the Giants uh, went on to win, and uh, threw, I think, two and a third really critical innings in, in Vogelsong's start in, in the LCS. And so, you know, I, I don't know much about the Royals' um, you know middle relief, but He's Petit's a guy you like to have, and, and uh, also you know set a record this year for the most consecutive batters retired in Major League history, which you know you wouldn't think some some no name middle reliever uh, from the Giants would do that, but but he did. And then you know they have Jeremy Affel, Javier Lopez, uh, who's a great left handed one out specialist, and, and we'll probably see guys like Hosmer and Gordon, Sergio Romo, and Santiago Casilla, who all have. World Series experience, and Romo has closed in a World Series. Casillas now closed in a World Series, uh, or, or, uh, or no, has now closed in, in LCS play and LDS play. Um, and then the guy, the seventh guy in the bullpen is Hunter Strickland, who might throw as hard uh, or close to as hard as anyone in the Royals bullpen, but is the only Giants reliever who's been hit hard in the postseason. He's given up um, three solo home runs. So how much, you know, uh, 
Royals fans will see of him. I don't know. Uh, does he match up good against a guy like Billy Butler? Maybe if if he can get him to chase the fastball above the letters and use his slider as an out pitch with two strikes. But Bryce Harper hit two home runs off him in, in the LDS that were massive shots. As Jubal Cabrera took him deep, and then also uh, uh, Matt Adams took him deep in St. Louis in Game Two. So he's a little bit of, of a wild card. If, if you need a right-handed guy who can throw 98-99 and touch 100, he's the dude. But, you know, everybody in the major leagues can hit it if it's straight. If it doesn't have movement, it's kind of worthless. And it's a matter of if he can get his pitches to, you know, move and hit his location. Now, seven, eight, nine innings. I mean, are, are the Giants more of a mix and match, or do guys have just particular innings? The eighth inning is this guy's, the seventh inning is that guy, kind of like the Royals do. You would you would say that Romo is the eighth inning guy and and Castilla is the ninth inning guy, but um, anybody who's followed Bruce Bochy knows he's kind of a guy who goes a little more with his gut. Um, in in Game Five of the LCS, uh, Castilla loaded the bases and and in the ninth, and the Cardinals brought in Oscar Tavares to pinch hit, and so the Giants countered with Jeremy Asfeld with two outs in the ninth. They removed their closer to bring in a, a lefty to go with the matchup. Um, is that unconventional to some people? Yeah, you would think, you know, your closer's your stopper and you're going to go with him no matter what, but that's just not the way Bochy works all the time. Meanwhile, on the other side, you had Mike Matheny leaving Trevor Rosenthal in the bullpen and using Michael Walker in the bottom of the ninth, and so now you're eliminated from the playoffs and you haven't used your best pitcher or your best reliever in an elimination game. So Bochy is the kind of guy who, if the matchup seems better, he will favor the matchup. Now, you mentioned Ron Wotus earlier. I know you think very highly of him as a future major league manager. I mean, when's somebody going to pick this guy up? Oh, I don't know. And, and every year that the Giants retain him really is a gift. I didn't know much about Wotus until, um, you know, as you get older, you start to maybe become a fan of coaches uh, just as much as the players. But he was one of the only people retained when uh, Bochi came from San Diego. Wotus won a championship at single A, double A, was a bench coach for Felipe Alou, and then and Bochi has retained him. And a, a lot of people, you know, think that he deserves the shot. I mean, he's the bench coach for a two-time World Series champion now making their third trip. He um, has a really good rapport with young players and was instrumental in bringing um, Brandon Belt and Brandon Crawford along, and, and now guys like Joe Panic and Matt Duffy. Um he sets the defense on the infield. That's that's his role uh, when the Giants are on defense. He he looks at the book on the opposing hitters, and man, I sure just think the world of him. And you know, I know everybody wanted to scoop up managers, but the idea that you know he hasn't even got the last interview he had was um, for Seattle in '13, and, and they you know hired Lloyd McClendon. But man, shoot, I I think the world of him, and it's a gift every year the Giants get to keep him. Now, last three questions for you. Now, the one kind of funny question before we get to the last two: the best Hunter Pence sign you've ever seen. Is there, you know, is there anything stick out with that? Oh man, you know, I I love Hunter Pence. So I, there was a, a super positive one that was in the last LCS game, and I can't think of what it is. The one where like Hunter Pence doesn't like bacon or something like that. <laughs> I thought was kind of ridiculous because if you know anything about him, he's a he's a health freak. And every city he goes to, he goes to a Whole Foods or a health food store and buys all his groceries for the series. <laughs> and eats, you know, kale in his hotel room. And uh, he's, uh, you know, kind of like I, I guess Alex Gordon has really had a renaissance with his health. I yeah. think Hunter Pence is kind of the same way, uh, where they're very strict with their diet. 
But Hunter Pence hates bacon, and Hunter Pence can't parallel park. I thought that was kind of ridiculous. <laughs> what was the one? Man, oh, you're putting me on the spot. But there was one that had me cracking up that was great in San Francisco, but I can't remember. But it's like, you know, those signs, it's like, come on, what do you expect from New York fans? Yeah, right. I love you know, I love that he kind of got into it, too, and you know, posted his own on Twitter about a month or two ago. That was kind of funny to see. Now, you know, last two things for you when it comes to the Royals. So what do you worry about most in this series? I mean, is there a, a place where you think the Royals have an edge or two that kind of worries you a bit about the series? Oh, sure. I mean, I think uh, despite his three-run homer that clinched the pennant, Travis Ishikawa, again, I love every giant, but he's a liability in left field. I mean, he's, he's literally only played left field like the last three or four weeks. It was a, you know, kind of a patchwork job once uh, Pagan went down, they had to throw somebody out there, and he just sort of became the guy by default. Um, he misplayed a ball in Game 5 that led to a Cardinals run and could have ultimately cost the Giants the game had Morse not tied it up in the eighth. And then, and then he hit the three and home in the ninth. So when you look at a guy like Alex Gordon in left field for the Royals, you can pretty much do everything. And Travis Ishikawa is a, you know, a guy who's spent the majority of his career in the minor leagues. You just think, wow, they really have an edge there. Um, and I just worry about, you know, a, a team like the Royals that is so young and so confident and maybe just like, you know, like they say sometimes, a team that doesn't know they're not supposed to be there is the most dangerous team. And uh, they're super deep with a ton of speed. They can hit. Um, when big guys like Hosmer and Butler and Gordon get hot, they can hit the ball for power. Um, so I think the thing I worry about the most about is just the Giants rotation, specifically two through four. Um, and can they spot their pitches? Can they not make mistakes to... Um, the Royals three through five, especially if, if guys at the top of the order are getting on base. You know, you know how it is in playoff baseball. You have to avoid the big inning, and and that's the thing that scares me the most is the Royals can create a big inning very quickly. Um, when I coached, my biggest thing was you got to put pressure on the other team, whether it's just putting the ball in play, making them make all the throws, making them make the routine plays, and the Royals sure put a lot of pressure on every opponent they've had in the postseason. Well, we can't let you get away without a prediction, so I'll, I'll give. Oh God! <laughs> I'll give mine first here, and I've got a feeling okay. you. I, I got a feeling you might say the same, the same amount of games, but the exact opposite. I, I, I don't know, man. I, I feel like the, I feel like the Giants get the split in Kansas City. I feel like Bumgarner maybe wins Game One. I don't know, and it'll be interesting to see when that happens if the Royals, you know, how they respond to having not lost a playoff game yet, and and then throwing mm-hmm. their their young phenom, your Ventura, in Game Two. So I feel like a split comes in Kansas City, and I, I don't know. You're not gonna. I just I feel like the Royals can go in. Uh, I like Vargas and Guthrie pitching in that park just for the fact that they're uh, you know fly ball pitchers, and the Royals have all those bunnies out in the outfield that can run and get balls, and hopefully the balls aren't flying out of the ballpark there. So I, I kind of like the Royals' edge with Shields going in that third game, and I like the Royals winning this one in six. Your thoughts? Yeah. Um, here's what I'll say. I, if, if I'm taking the Giants, I would say the Giants in six. I, I kind of have the same inclination that maybe the Giants could, for lack of a better term, steal game one uh, with Bumgarner. And then, yeah, uh, the Giants have had trouble with some hard-throwing guys in the postseason, and, and the matchup of uh, Ventura, I think, creates a lot of problems for San Francisco's lineup. Um, and then you go back to San Francisco. I like the Giants in a perfect world to get two out of three in San Francisco. And I would say that if the Giants were going to win it, it would have to be in six or fewer. A game seven, I give the edge to the home team in the Royals. But I will say, um, 
despite the fact, and I don't know if I've mentioned this, but my daughter was born in 2010, shortly after both Posey was called up. My son was born in 2012, the day before the roster was expanded on September 1st, which also happens to be my birthday. So the Giants have only won World Series in my lifetime in years I have kids. <laughs> Unfortunately, I did not plan ahead, and my wife is not currently pregnant, nor have we just had another small child that I am unaware of. Uh, <laughs> well, that, be- that being said, I got I to gotta go with my club, and I will say the Giants in six. Fair enough. We both like our teams in six. Maybe you can go adopt real quick, you know? Oh, my God. <laughs> well, you know, when I met Hunter Pence, my wife actually told him, you know, we had our daughter in 2010 and our son in 2012, and Hunter Pence looked my wife dead in the eye and with a straight face said, you guys are having another kid next year, right? <laughs> I love it. Well, Royals fans are glad to hear that you didn't. But, you know, either way, maybe we'll have to have you back on afterwards for a little a post-series recap. But it's been great catching up. And that's good stuff, man. I mean, that's nice in-depth stuff. And I, I feel like myself and, and Royals faithful are going to, you know, be able to watch this, this series a lot more educationally, if that's a word, you know. Oh, well, thanks, man. And I, I, you know, I hope you guys have fun but not too much fun. And uh, like I told you in our email exchange the other night, in all sincerity, I know how much you, you care about the Royals as much as I care about the Giants. And, uh, you know, if it can't be me celebrating at the end, I'm glad it's going to be you. And we can both agree it's, you know, we're glad it's not the Cardinals. So, <laughs> right? Oh. Right. oh, man. From from your mouth to God's ears. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, Rob, <laughs> thanks so much, and let's talk again soon. Dave, thanks, buddy. All right, take care. You too.